Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Firstly, I wanted to thank everyone that took the time to go and rate the podcast following the Andrew Bailey episode last week. We have had over 100 five-star ratings on iTunes, which means a huge amount. So thank you for all of you that do that. For those of you that are more interested in the background of the podcast and how it works and how we put it together, you can subscribe to my notebook at www.jobsofthefuture.co. Today we are joined by a very special guest and one of the most interesting politicians I think in the United Kingdom. Nadeem Zawahi is the Education Secretary. Prior to that he was what he's most recognised for as the Vaccines Minister. Education is such an important department within the government. How you improve your economy over the long term is by educating our children to the highest possible level. It is the silver bullet for what improves people's life chances. If we don't get the foundations right, it becomes much harder to upskill people later on in life. As we've talked about in this podcast a lot before, education hasn't really updated that much in the last century. But actually, the pandemic has seen a huge fundamental change in the way that that happens. And so it was great to talk to Nadim about what he's trying to do and what his vision for it all is and what the job of the education secretary actually is. Prior to politics, Nadim was also an entrepreneur, being involved with the founding team of YouGov, which is now worth over a billion pounds. So it was great to kind of pick his insights on how he started that and how we can encourage more risk-taking in the United Kingdom as well. Perhaps the most fascinating bit of Nadim's story is the way that he arrived in the UK. He fled Saddam Hussein's Iraq at the age of 11 years old. And I've known Nadim for over a decade and I hadn't realised until I'd been researching that he couldn't speak or write any English when he arrived here. So it's a truly remarkable story of where he is now and how far he may potentially go in politics as well. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for all the support that you provide the show by sending it to friends, family and colleagues. It makes a massive difference. Thanks for listening. This show is made possible by the fantastic support of our various partners. And I wanted to thank The Octopus Group. The Octopus Group is a collection of eight entrepreneurially minded businesses across financial services and energy, all founded on the one simple belief that people and the planet deserve better. They are intent on building a better tomorrow for future generations and are a certified B Corp, demonstrating they care as much about the impact of their investments as the returns they generate. I am proud that Octopus have backed this show since the second series and they are the reason why we are now able to put such a professional show together. To hear more about what they do, it is worth checking out previous episodes with the founders Chris Hewlett and Simon Rogerson or the CEO of their investments arm, Ruth Hancock. If you want to see how you could partner with us, go to our website at www.jobsofthefuture.co. Nadim, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thank you very much. It's great to see you. So tell us what the role of Education Secretary involves. So this is my third stint in the department. I was here in the coalition government as the apprenticeship czar. We had lots of czars in those days when uh, the Prime Minister then David Cameron couldn't find you a slot as a minister. Yeah. He tried to find you something to do. Actually, it was a real job, to be fair. Um, I walked into this building and Nick Bowles was uh, skills minister and he said, you know, I've done the thinking, the uh, the policy making. You now implement the apprenticeship levy and the new standards. So we raise the standards, and the sort of the golden thread, which actually carries on now, is you can't really have a skills landscape without um, the qualifications being designed, co-designed by industry, by different sectors, because in a dynamic economy where sectors get you know, crushed and reborn in double time. Um, it, it, it would be foolhardy at best yeah. for any minister to think they can design it without actually the industry, the sectors uh, doing that. I was returned here as um, the Children and Families Minister by Theresa May, uh, which I loved. I thought it was probably the most 
describe it as the most important portfolio in mm. uh, the department, if not in government, because it's looked after children, children's social care, um, children with special educational needs and disabilities. Um, really important work, and we can talk a bit more about it. And now as Secretary of State. So what is my role? My role, I think, is very much to focus the department. This is a great department. I walked in here and I said um, I, it's a privilege to be part of the leadership of this department. Why? Because um, it's full of talented people. Now, I'm sure other departments will say they've got as talented people in it. You know, Treasury's got lots of talented people, but I bet you they don't have people who are as passionate yeah. as I've gotten in uh, not just this building, but around the country in Darlington and Sheffield and elsewhere, Coventry and uh, in all our um, hubs. Uh, why? Because you don't go into education if you don't really care and are passionate. And so that combination, actually, of passion and talent is great for any leader. Uh, what do you got to do is focus, right? So what I've tried to do is focus the department. Um, my mantra, uh, and we all fall back on our own Successes and failures mm. or life experiences uh, is don't try and hug the world. Do a few things and do them well. Uh, and actually, once you do them well, people begin to believe you. And actually, when they begin to believe, then you can do even more. And so it's skills, schools, family. Yeah. So focus the department, deliver in those three areas. And we can talk about um, each one of those uh, in turn. Um, then I would have done something truly great. Because, you know, I always talk about my, my own backstory. Yeah. Um, of a child arriving here at the age of 11 um, uh, as an immigrant, uh, not speaking a word of English, but having uh, a mother who understood the value of education. Um, and I want the system to work for every child, you know, wherever they live, whatever their postcode, at the right time, the right place for them to be in a classroom with a great teacher in front of them um, and get that same opportunity. I don't believe that a, a child in Knowsley is less talented than a child in Kensington. Mm. They just don't have the, the opportunity. They don't have the school or the uh, teacher. Some uh, schools are clearly um, on an improvement journey, but I think we can do much better on that. Yeah. Um, and so it's exciting. And, and it's also about the skills and family bit, because I think, you know, people perceive kind of education secretary as like running the schools and particularly exams with everything that's happened in the last couple of years with the pandemic. Um, so it'd be, but it'd be, so I think that's quite well understood, but yeah. like it is education and education is becoming a, a lifelong thing. And, and you talk there in your kind of opening remarks about partnering with business much more because, you know, people are going to work for 50 years now. So it's like really hard actually to plan in 2022, what skills somebody's going to need in the 2060s, right? Like it's, it, it's like, as you say, almost foolhardy. Sure. And so what is the, uh, yeah. So talk us through the, the priority area of skills and, yeah. and what that means. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, a couple of things. One, uh, I think in my first week in the department, um, I was invited by, uh, the CBI to address their, uh, their dinner, their big president's dinner. And I stood up, I said, you know, friends, you know, many of you know me because of my business background before entering politics. Um, I run an economic department and I tell you for why, because actually the most valuable resource on this earth is not hydrocarbons. It's not precious metals. It is human capital, right? And my department is in the business of producing, you know, great human beings, um, that are well-rounded adults that have high quality skills that can benefit your sector, your, your business. And that's the journey we're on. We began that journey in the coalition government. I just talked to you about mm. being the skills, the apprenticeships are, um, the golden thread throughout the, the, the strategy is that businesses have to be embedded in the creation of the qualifications and the, what I would call the skills landscape in our mm. country. Um, so what do I mean by that? Um, I got here and the skills bill was making its way through Parliament. Um, Her Majesty the Queen uh, gave a royal assent to the bill last week. Um, it means now uh, we have, I used to call it the next chapter, it's, it's probably the next book, and there's one more book to go. Yeah. Um, uh, which is essentially you know, taking the journey of what we did with apprenticeships into other runways for people's careers to take off on. Now, what do I mean by that? T-levels. Yeah. T-levels um, were actually the brainchild of a Labour minister in uh, David Sainsbury, or Sainsbury. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, clearly um, a really good idea that we needed to implement and scale up. Um, and so my big focus on skills is to scale up. Because what is a T-level? It's a fusion between an apprenticeship and an A-level. Yeah. So you can take a T-level now um, uh, in digital and go and work in Microsoft or SME in digital. You can take a T-level in construction and go work in that industry, and we're going to launch more T-levels. You can take a T-level and go and do an apprenticeship degree. Yeah. Afterwards. You can take a T-level and go and do a traditional degree. There's now, I think, 70 universities that will take uh, T-levels. So I want, I hope by the end of this parliament, um, we've got about 6,500 T-levelers today, uh, to have 80 plus thousand. Yeah. That's when you begin to get real scale. And scale is hard, whether in, in the private sector or the public sector. But that's real scale. Yeah. Um, now, the really exciting bit, now this is really exciting, but the really, really exciting bit is, and if you told me back in uh, coalition government that there will come a prime minister that will convince the treasury to stand behind any adult at any time in their career, in their life, if they want to upskill or reskill, retrain, um, you know, if you're, in, if you're in Aberdeen oil and gas and you think you have an opportunity in, uh, in the northeast in offshore wind, we'll stand behind you to the equivalent of £37,000. Yeah. You can take it as a whole, four years of post-18 education or in modules, right? I would have bitten your arm off back yeah. in coalition government. This prime minister's done it. We're building it. It's called the Lifelong Learning Entitlement. I promise you I'm going to come up with a better brand uh, <laughs> yeah. than that. Uh, yeah, I came up with the name YouGov, so I'll come up with a better <laughs> brand. Uh, but um, it is truly, I think, a revolution in skills. What? Why? Because in a dynamic economy, right, when sectors are, are changing so rapidly, yes, right, you need people to have the ability to say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to train, retrain, and do something else with my life. Um, and we're going to stand behind you. And on, on that kind of like branding language point, so like doing the research, yeah, we've known each other for over 10 years, but it was interesting researching it because sometimes you get familiar with people and you kind of forget their stories a little bit. Like I didn't realise that when you came here from kind of right, you couldn't speak a word of English, mm -hmm. right? And actually like trying to read the Telegraph was a nightmare when you started by reading The Sun. Yes. And I just, and, and part of me thought about that and actually like some of the language that we use around this stuff, like tertiary and, and, and even skills to a degree, yeah. th does that kind of relate to the common man and woman on the street? Well, I'm not sure it does. So that, that skills, the 37,000 like is an amazing thing, but how do you, how do you get out and communicate that that's an opportunity for, for people? You're, 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 and this is why, you know, I obsess about saying I want to make T levels as famous as A levels. Yeah. In many ways, actually T levels as a brand is quite an easy brand to communicate yeah it's a fusion between an apprenticeship and an a level you have different paths you can go to work you can go to university you can go do an apprenticeship degree um or higher apprenticeship um but you're right one of the things when i was the apprenticeship czar back in coalition government mm. when we we're looking at the apprenticeship landscape and looking at what other countries did and who does it really well and we looked at germany and switzerland uh, what you very quickly discover is a couple of nuggets the first is the stability of the system yeah. The system has been around and stable for decades in those countries. So everybody understands it. You know, the, the cab driver taking me from the airport will describe to me uh, how proud he is that his daughter is on a Siemens apprenticeship and can describe yeah, yeah. the process of how she applied, how it worked in their country because of that stability. The other thing is, you know, we have something like 12,000 qualifications at yeah. level three and below, right? Our competitors... Germany, Switzerland, we've got probably about four to 500. Yeah. So we have a very complex system. You know, I, I sometimes sort of joke with my officials, they say, you need a PhD just to understand the skill system and how to navigate it. Yeah. And part of that, actually, because we've been so successful um, in our higher education sector. So yes. if you take HE, um, Universities in this country are world-class, Yeah, right? If you think about what we have been able to design, it's taken us, in some cases, 700 years, right, with some of the Oxbridge colleges. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, the product, right, has been embedded in the culture of this country 
yeah. for hundreds of years. So parents understand that, you know, your son or daughter, in my case, I did O-levels and then you do your A-levels and then you go to uni. Um, yeah, that's, that's a fantastic thing. Out of every four international students in the world, America gets two, we take one and the rest of the world shares one. So yeah. we really do punch way above our weight um, in, in terms of our university education. But if the truth be told, yeah, that product is so dominant and part of the sort of the Blair obsession with so many people having, you know, 50% have to go to university. Yeah. Hand on heart, I would say to you, there'd be some vice chancellors who'd say some of their courses weren't designed to deliver a great skill or great career path for that student, but were probably designed to take advantage of the system, the 9,250 yeah. pounds a year that you get from it. And that's what we're working to sort of move away from, to say, actually, there are other runways for your career to take off on. Yeah. Right? Have you looked at these other runways? But you're right. The challenge, and it remains a challenge, and I haven't got the full answer for it, is how do I create products that can sit along with what is a really well-established product yeah. that is equally stretching and aspirational and that, you know, that punch-the-air moment at breakfast when you get the T-level envelope, you know, is what I want to get to in the way you get the A-level envelope. Um, uh, you know, in, in, in past years. And where's it like, do you think that we push too many people into those degrees too early? Cause it's, I just think that that is one of the reflections that some of the specificity of the undergraduate degrees that we get people to do actually means it's very hard then at 21, 22 on graduation to actually row back from that. It's almost like we talk a lot about skilling up, but actually it's almost harder to unskill you yourself and, and start again what can we do to kind of change that because you're right like it comes from the fact that we're world class in it um but actually yeah how do we how do we change that because that seems to me to be one of the biggest challenges that we face so what i've tried to do uh and i think it's the right strategy is to take our university sector with us on this journey uh so the regulator the office for students is now much more focused on outcomes, mm. not just inputs. So you know, it's not just about getting students onto a degree. It's about, okay, are they completing the degree? Yeah. Right. What's the outcome at the end of it? Are they going to a great job at the end of it? Are they going to, on to doing a master's or a PhD at the end of it? And actually, the really powerful thing that I can do is data and transparency. Mm. You know, one of the lessons of the vaccine deployment is, you know, we went from, you know, a standing start. You remember we started publishing data um, initially every fortnight, then we moved to every Thursday. Yeah. And then we moved to daily data and we got deeper and deeper with data. So regional, by local authority, by constituency, by ward, you know, it got deeper and, and better. Yeah. Uh, and it allowed, you know, whether it's Fraser Nelson's data hub or, you know, a couple of kids in a garage, they can put an inf interface on it and analyze data. So in any complex system, yeah, like education, like health, data and transparency is my ally on the journey of reform. Yeah. Why? Because actually, I don't believe anyone goes to work to want to do a bad job. Right? But if you can share the outcomes, okay, so if this career path takes you to a good job and a fulfilling career at the end of it, and by the way, um, if after 10 years in that career, you feel you, you, you know, you want to start again and do something else, uh, we'll stand behind you with the uh, lifelong learning entitlement. Um, that is, I think, the best ecosystem I can create yeah. for um, uh, skills and bringing actually universities closer to, to colleges so that, you know, further education, higher education are much more knitted closer together. So one of the things we have launched, you know, it's a bit technical, hasn't really cut through, is these institutes of technology. So basically mm. they're a collaboration between university, college, and crucially business. Yeah. So Aston University in my part of the world, um, your part of the, yeah, part yeah. Of the world too, um, uh, with the local college group with BMW and um, uh, other uh, uh, engineering firms in, in, in the area um, came together. We fund them. We Basically, it's a mini factory, but a high-tech yeah. factory with you know, 3D 
um, uh, printing and um, working on AI and all sorts of other uh, things. For far too long, I think, culturally, we've seen this sort of silo, this separation. FE is separate from HE. Yes. In reality, actually, if you go back, the history of higher education is actually very much based on on-the-job experience. Even yeah. if, you, if you go and train as a doctor or a, or a lawyer, you, know, you have uh, historically the culture of education yeah. is very much a fungibility of both things, you know, bringing them together. Uh, and that's what we're on that journey. And I think you know, if I do my job properly, then I would have, I hope, will leave a legacy of, of, of a landscape yeah. that is able to continue to feed a dynamic economy. Yeah. Now back, we'll talk about it in a second, but the data and transparency is crucial to it. And yeah. one of the things I'm launching, um, we launched it in uh, the Leveling Up White Paper with Michael Gove, is a unit for future skills. Yeah. Now, you know, again, with my old vaccine deployment hat on and loving data and uh, publishing of data, um, we don't have in the United Kingdom a, you know, a dynamic dashboard for what the skills needs of the economy are in six months, 12 months, two, five years, 10 years time. Yeah. Uh, Singapore has one. Yeah, they've got the unit for your skills. That's where I sort of got the idea from. I went to the prime minister and said, look, let me build this thing and we'll drop it into number 10, into yeah. cabinet office, treasury, every department, home office, um, because then we can flex the infrastructure. You know, yeah. I have here um, uh, an education infrastructure that we'll be spending 86 billion a year on by 2024, 2025. Yeah. How do I challenge that infrastructure? How do I say to our you know, great college leaders, our school leaders, our university uh, leaders, you know, are, we, you know, are we meeting the skills needs of the economy um, in you know, 12 months, two years, five years, 10 years out? Yeah. Um, knowing what, what, the, you know, what the inputs, the investments that are coming through, you know, we are a very attractive place for inward investment. You know, part of that is I want to publish because the best thing you can do is publish that data because uh, actually it's the best way to reform uh, complex systems. Tosi, and what, what sectors excite you most? I mean, what are you, you may not be seeing the data already come through in this yet, but what sectors excite you now? I mean, if you were 22 in 22, you know, what would you be sort of looking at and thinking, right, well, I'm going to go yeah. for that? Because when, obviously, you, you will come on to the background in data that you had with YouGov as well. Um, but what sectors would you be looking at now thinking that's what I'm, I'm going to go after? So if I was still a primary school boy, mm -hmm. um, and this is part of my school's white paper, is actually, you, you, of course, you know, you need a knowledge-rich curriculum. Right. But, you know, until I learnt to read English, to write in English, actually, most important thing, I learned to think in English. Um, I didn't know that I loved things like biology and human biology and chemistry and maths uh, and physics. Um, so you need the building blocks, the foundations right, which is why so much of my focus at primary school um, is making sure that we really lift our ambitions. At the moment, um, you know, we've had some incredible reforms, right? We're about to announce our 10,000th academy. Mm. Uh, now, in a school system that has 22,000 schools, 10,000 is real scale. Uh, and that's very much thanks to, you know, what Michael Gove and my predecessors did in, in this job. Um, but only two-thirds of children complete primary school with, uh, you know, the right level of quality of maths yeah. and English, right? That means one third are not. They're going to secondary and they still don't have the right level of maths and English. My white paper will change that. We're going to get to 90% mm -hmm. primary school children completing um, primary school with 90% with with having the, the quality in maths and in English. Why does that matter? Because if you think... And how are you going to do it? Right. So actually... <laughs> Because I've I've now got the evidence, because we've got 10,000 academies, right? In the white paper, what I've tried to do is share the evidence mm. with parents. It's very much you know, speaks to parents, to students, to teachers as to what I think works, right? Yep. And what is really clear 
is that a family of schools that is really tightly managed, really well supported in a high performing, and I underline high performing, why? Because actually not all MAT multi-academy trusts are high performing, but in the high performing multi-academy trusts, right, the Harris's, the Star mm. Academies, uh, United, others, right, many others, um, have delivered better outcomes. Remember what I was saying to you about that, that kid who can speak English at the age yeah. of 11? If we always remember that what we're trying to do is to give that kid, wherever they are, the best chance in, in life, yeah. um, then those families of schools have delivered. So my journey now is how do I complete that journey to go from where we are today, 10,000 academies to all 22,000 by 2030. And what's great about them is the evidence is clear that actually they've done it in the most you know, deprived um, regions, parts of the country. Yeah. And they've been able to lift that ambition. Um, you know, I went to see a brilliant school in not far from here in Hammersmith and with a brilliant head teacher called Gary Kiniston. And, you know, his big mantra is, you know, he makes sure that every one of his students, this is, he's a, he runs a very successful secondary school. Um, he's got 50, almost 60% pupil premium in, in the school, but he doesn't allow his ambition for each and every child, right, to be as stretching uh, as he can possibly make it mm. uh, because he thinks that's the best thing he can do for them. So we've got the evidence, right? I've been able to look back at where previous sectors says maybe haven't managed to land yeah. the, the strategy. Um, uh, I've you know, really engaged with our Church of England schools, Catholic schools, you know, uh, uh, Jewish, Muslim schools, grammar schools across the board to join me on this journey. Yeah. Uh, because like with vaccine, if we just remember why we're doing this and we evidence it, then we'll, we'll, we'll do the right thing. Um, and that's, that's the aim. So that's schools. Yeah. Um, what would I do? I'd want to be good at core maths. Why? Yeah. Because actually everything flows from that, right? If you want to be in data programming, right? If you want to be in data analytics in anything else, um, uh, you need core maths. Yeah, uh, and so actually, getting the 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 literacy numeracy right, right, plus having a knowledge rich curriculum, um, I think is is the best start in life. Um, and then later on, I would definitely look at, at an apprenticeship degree. Yeah, I've got twenty thousand uh, people now who've done an apprenticeship degree. I want to double that. Yeah, we want to get to forty thousand. Um, because. What's and talk us through what an apprenticeship degree is, right? Because right. one of the challenges with education sexually yeah. is that it's the one department that everyone has experienced, right? So yeah. everyone's got their own opinion on Absolutely it, right. but it always comes from their own experience. So explain, there'll be a lot of people that listen to that and don't know what it what, yeah. what it is. So what's an apprenticeship degree? Right. So um, again, back in um, coalition government, when we were lifting the, 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 the quality of apprenticeships and designed the new standards with business. Yeah. Um, uh, in the, uh, leading it for us, um, we realised actually, you know, the higher level apprenticeships, you know, we can really stretch, and we wanted more of them. And actually, um, some of our business said, you know, we collaborate with universities as well uh, on these sort of higher technical qualifications. So we thought, actually, why don't we create, you know. Uh, basically an, a, 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 an apprenticeship degree that is as high quality as you would get in a, a traditional degree. The, diff yeah. the big difference actually is you get on the work experience. Yeah, yeah. And I remember so when I was the apprenticeship czar, we launched one with Goldman Sachs and Goldman Sachs decided to, I think it was Queen Mary's University, if I'm not mistaken. It's going back now some years. Um, and they took on 420 um, apprenticeship degree starts in um, digital um, IT back office mm. systems in banking, financial services. Now, you know, if I had my life over again, what's there not, not to like, right? You get to do a degree, right? If you like um, technology, yeah, right? And you're learning on the job because you're working in Goldman as an apprentice and going to do the the academic work at Queen Mary's, right? you finish your 
degree, uh, you, you got you know, a, a fantastic job at yeah. the end of it, um, and you're highly qualified. Uh, and so that's that's where we, where it, and it's becoming you know, incredibly popular. Yeah, um, so a, it's exciting. Yeah, and with all like due respect to some of the universities, like yeah. I mean, Goldman Sachs, for example, has a better brand recognition than than most universities, even, even very good ones, to be fair. So it's, um, I think it is a really inspiring way. And coming on to that kind of like branding, I want to talk a bit about your kind of entrepreneurial journey. Cause, and the first question I kind of wanted to ask you was, where did the name YouGov come from? And what was the story behind its foundation? Yeah, totally. Uh, it was um, uh, no taxation without representation. Boston Tea Party. Um, the... Uh, the, you know, this was in 2000 when um, the internet, you know, I think it was only mm. off memory, only about uh, a third of the country uh, had internet access. Um, it was still America Online, yeah. uh, free serve portals uh, uh, world. Um, no one had done an online survey. Um, and the uh, initial idea was that you would you would pay your council tax online uh, and then you would give your opinion to your local uh, council as to what, how you want your money spent. Um, oh, right. So the polling paying. was the sort of secondary. So the, the polling was the secondary product. Uh, and, of course, we very quickly worked out that actually there are much larger players in, in doing sort of you know, legacy tax uh, systems integration. Um, and what really began to work was was the polling element of it. So uh, we uh, pitched the idea to FreeServe at the time and we became the news channel on FreeServe. When you clicked on news, we were producing uh, the news for them. Uh, but we called it interactive news because every news story, and we hired a bunch of young uh, graduate journalists and some more mature uh, journalists as well, like John Humphreys and yeah. uh, uh, and others, and one Boris Johnson, in fact, who used to write <laughs> for the for the site, um, and uh, Faye Weldon. We wanted people from different, you know, who had different followers yeah. uh, in, in terms of their writing. Uh, but the condition was on everything we produced, uh, they'd have to ask questions. So even a, a, okay. the, the sort of the daily news story yeah. uh, would have a, a battery of questions below it. Um, so it was more of a media company. It, though, it was. It? it was. It was then all about basically gathering public opinion yeah um and then the 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 sort of the real um success of the idea was uh, the traditional market research companies were still doing some were still doing clipboard um, yeah but actually were being replaced by the likes of icm if you if that name means yeah. anything uh, to you who, who actually was the sort of the, the the revolutionary at the time because they went to telephone surveys uh and so uh, uh, we came along and the idea was basically if you build a large enough panel of human beings um, online that is broadly representative of the um, adult population, yeah. um, then you pull off the computers, the machines would then take a smaller sample that is much more representative of the adult population uh, randomly, yeah. invite them to do a survey, then actually that's better quality data because actually all market research, all polling is, you know, we're all, I used to say this when I was in the industry, um, uh, that, you know, we were all in the business of modeling, mm. uh, and, and it's whether you can build a better mousetrap, better model, um, to, to try and capture how people are feeling, how they're thinking, uh, how, you know, what they will do. Um, uh, and that was the real success because we were able to prove there was there's something, there's an academic study that sort of, you know, high caliber. Um, the sort of the gold standard, which is called the British Election Survey. Mm. It goes around the world as the American Election Survey, the Australian Election Survey. And um, uh, Professor Anthony King, God bless his soul, passed yeah. away a few years ago, um, uh, noticed us because we contributed to the British Election Survey um, back in 2001, the yeah. first election that we called accurately. Uh, and then they gave us our first break with uh, some work for the Telegraph. Uh, uh, and... Um, from from there on, the rest is history. Once you prove the model, uh, and that was that the moment that you knew we thought well, th this you, is a big we, idea. We, yeah, we've this got. Is, I thought this. Yeah. Is, I thought this is a big idea. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, this this is uh, this is going to transform the world because um, 
it's faster. Yeah. It's, you know, much better value for money. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, the other thing is, is it can be deliberative. It can be, you can return to the same respondents. With yeah. telephone and face-to-face, you know, it, it's a one-off survey that, you know, by the time you've delivered the data and the report, it's out of date, but you can't go back and say, oh, I'm interested in this subgroup here. Yeah. Why did they say that? Can we go back to them? You can't. Whereas actually panel-based research is so much more powerful. Yeah. Um, um, amazing. And this artwork, I believe, is was what it is. hung on the offices at yes. So can you talk us yes, through some of it as well? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so uh, uh, Stephen Shakespeare, who uh, uh, is a, a, a you know, wonderful human being and a, and a, a great friend of mine and, and um uh he uh, uh co-founded yougov um uh, and um uh, was a lover of art um and he knew a great artist called derek boshier uh, who and derek is is um you know one of the uk's um sort of pop artists yeah you know, never became as famous as you know peter blake and peter blake actually came to the show that Stephen put on for derek boshier at the time um, uh, and, uh, uh, but no, you know, it wasn't, didn't become sort of Warhol or, or yeah. play, uh, he, because he, I think he partly wanted to continue to teach as well. Um, uh, uh, and, um, we, uh, Stefan did this exhibition for him and, uh, we, each of us bought three pictures, not for, not for a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, they, uh, I've taken them wherever I go. I, you know, they've been you know, very lucky for me because they were in my, YouGov office, and then they moved with me to my parliamentary office when I was a backbencher for pretty much, I think I was there for eight years. And I keep reminding, you know, the, certainly my colleagues, the 20s. You're lucky to fit them in a backbencher's I office. I know. <laughs> well, the, you, you were then given slightly better offices uh, 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 because, if, you know, if you weren't promoted, yeah, especially, um, uh, and I spent, I think, seven or eight years really loving the backbenchers and doing lots of work. Mm. You know, I was on the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. I was on the Business Select Committee. Um, uh, apparently, someone told me he was on the Panorama Post Office scandal yeah. the other day, which um, was terrible, uh, I have to say. And uh, but uh, nevertheless, they've, they've travelled with me uh, 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 all the time, and, and uh, I love them. I just love the, the sort of the, the the vibrancy. You've got to love, you know, the, the stuff that you 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 you, you, you know, the art that you hang on the walls. You got because you got to live with it. Because you have had quite a non-linear, like not only just education career, but also like political career as well. It's been sort of, you know, it's, it's not always been like going you, forward. You've known me for long <laughs> enough to, to, to know that. At one stage, uh, uh, I, I thought I was uh, going to go from the sort of the rising star mm. uh, to elder statesman with nothing in between. Um, I had, you know, I think it was seven or eight years on the back benches. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I now, you know, do... Uh, share with my uh, you know, uh, younger colleagues in the, the 2019 intake that I am the definition of it is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, uh, you know, so many of my intake actually you know, got promoted very quickly into, into government, and actually taking a bit more time, spending more time on select committees, spending more time, uh, uh, you know, on the back benches. Uh, I think is invaluable, and has certainly served me well. And then just you know, being someone here who was working on a particular project, like the apprenticeship stuff um, with uh, Nick Bowles here, or then as um, Children and Families Minister, and then as Business and Industry Minister in, in Bayes. And then, of course, you know, probably the biggest, most important job I'll ever do in my life, uh, which is the vaccine deployment. Mm. Uh, one of my friends uh, said to me at the time when we began to really succeed, um, with the vaccination program. He said, it will be the first line of your obituary. No, yeah. Most important job I'll ever do. Um, but it, it, I think it's important to get that sort of ministerial experience mm. um, because it serves you well when then you're asked to uh, you know, take on a whole department. And how, and how did you find the transition from kind of business to politics? Because, you know, when... Yeah, we predominantly interview entrepreneurs on the show, and when the when the mic stops, they often say, you know, I've I've often thought about giving it a go, and you know, I'd like to do it and whatever. But it's it's there's a lot of hard yards to put into it, and if you've built a successful business, there's lots of hard yards people don't see there as well. Um, but how did you find that transition? So I'm I'm slightly unusual because yeah, you 
I got the I caught the political bug mm. um, very early on. So I was a councillor in Wandsworth uh, from '94, um, uh, and so I, you know, always thought that one day I'll end up in in Parliament. And then um, I was very lucky in being part of the YouGov team and the YouGov idea, um, uh, 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 and to be able to take that company public in 2004 uh, as well. Um, and so, I, I, you know, politics was always a passion for me. A uh, couple of similarities. One, when you first enter Parliament, uh, is very much like a startup. Mm. Now, what do I mean by that? Yeah, each and every member of Parliament, backbencher, is a small enterprise. Yeah, right? you've got to build a small team. I arrived in this building, um, in in uh, Porkhalis House, um, uh, and you walk in um, in 2010. Yeah, you know, we've just. Uh, uh, about to form the coalition government uh, and you get handed a laptop, you open it and it's already all you know, logged in with your name, but there's 800 emails saying, you know, you're my member of parliament, please help. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's a post bag about the same. And so you've got to very quickly put together a small team you know, of two or three people that can just deal with the casework because they're the most important people. They're the people who put me right, in, yeah. in this place, right? Uh, and you must never ever forget that. Uh, and But you're a small enterprise because you need to serve, you basically serve your constituents, serve your, your customers, make sure you, 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 you know, deliver for them on time. Um, uh, and you want to try and, you know, find your way around this space, um, you know, become famous for something. You know, yeah. What is your passion? Obviously, you know, the business select committee for me was the thing to, to get onto. And I did immediately, almost immediately. And then foreign affairs select committee. So it is, it, it, there are similarities to that, what I would call the sort of startup culture. You've yeah. got to be able to wake up in the morning and just motivate yourself uh, and, and, and engage and find all the, all the levers, you know, form coalitions yeah. across the house to try and get a particular idea or a bill through parliament. Um, the other area, which I think has been incredibly helpful for me um, in ministerial office is, you know, Running a large organisation, you know, we took YouGov um, uh, from you know uh, six, seven of us in a shed, yeah, to you know a few hundred in a slightly bigger office to thousand plus people um, on three continents now as many thousands. Um, change management is hard. Yeah, you know, I had to um, uh, survive the financial crisis of oh eight and oh nine and right-size the business. Um, I don't believe people wake up in the morning and go to work because they want to do a bad job. Yeah. Uh, they get frustrated if they don't know why you're asking them to do something different, which is why actually much of the, the, the challenge is how do you communicate people to explain to them? I, I always give the example here to my team to say, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I, I like my cup of tea uh, in a certain way. If you're going to change it, you better tell me why. Otherwise, I'm going I'm to be you know, grumpy all day long. Yeah. Um, and change management is hard. Um, uh, but actually, if you explain to people, be clear about your strategy and, and what you're looking to deliver, um, people will join you on a journey, especially if you can evidence it. Yeah. Right. And actually, those skill sets um, are equally valuable in business as they are in running government departments. And did you feel it was a risk starting YouGov? Um, uh, I was, you know, um, single. Um, uh, I was a marketing director uh, at the time. High risk to leave my job and obviously do this. Uh, had the you know, really great support from my family um, uh, and my parents. Um, but I always you know, wanted to be an entrepreneur one day. Mm. I always thought, yeah, you know, it's something that, that, that I wanted to do. Um, but it's not without its risks. Uh, but I, I've loved every minute of it. I guess one of the things that I'm trying to sort of tease out a bit is you say you want to be the Secretary of State for Aspiration. And one of the things that I you know, feel that we could do with more is, is a bit more risk-taking. And I suppose... Yeah, you know, when you've left the country, age eleven, um, you know, starting a business, you know, does it does it really feel like a risk in comparison? I, when you put it like that, I, 
I hear what you say. Maybe that's the sort of the immigrant um, mm. uh, in me um, uh, that you 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 um, have a different risk appetite. Um, and I think you're right. I I do think that um, yeah we need to encourage more entrepreneurs. Although I have to say, uh, I'm seeing in my nieces and nephews and my own children uh, this generation is is mm. yeah much more in tune with entrepreneurialism um, yeah. uh, and wanting to try out different things, um, being very comfortable with having uh, you know uh, multiple careers in their lifetime uh, than even my own uh, generation. Um, why do, you think that, why do you think that is? Um, why do I think? I, I think the, what technology has done to empower mm. young people, you know, uh, you know, I, I, my, my children are digital natives, right? Mm. We, I, I still remember the fax machines and that was a huge innovation. Yeah. You, know, you, see, you see a document that's, you know, coming from the other side of the of the world you know in almost in real time through yeah, the, that, that sort of horrible paper that then fades away um so i i think actually um having a device in your pocket which is a powerful computer that you open up and you basically see everything in the world yeah um yeah much of it good um and, and, and empowering um I think does does open young minds to to the idea of you know I can try out some of these things, uh, which is a great thing in in in, in my view. Um, the one thing that we've always been challenged on in the UK, we're sort of quite good at at the startup culture. Yes, um, we are um, less good at um, you know, growing businesses and then keeping businesses. Yeah, uh, you know the the, the uh, British entrepreneurs will sell out and then, you know, want to play golf and do other yeah. things. The US entrepreneurs will sell out and start the next one almost immediately uh, uh, after that. And the Germans never sell and they keep these Mittelstads and they just, you know, grow these family businesses. Uh, and and um, I just think, you know, having, and this is something that I know uh, Rishi's passionate about, uh, having... Um, a focus on um, creating more management maturity mm. in the UK economy um, is something that's good. You know, having you know uh, small business men and women thinking about um, uh, you know developing themselves, yeah, professionally uh, to be able to you know, run bigger businesses uh, and keep bigger businesses. And, and how did you do that with Yougov in terms of that, like in a side of it you know because it's it, as an entrepreneur you get to 550 people each of these things feels like a big milestone right and it's how do you do that and how did you find the ipo process as well because that's a quick turnaround that you did it in, right mm. sort of founding yeah. it in 2000 yeah. ipo in 2004 yeah yeah um, um the ipo was one of the best things um i think that we did yeah um certainly for our shareholders as well um uh why because um, once you became successful, you know, we were getting offers of, uh, you know, borrowing money or private equity as well. But actually for us at the time, um, the aim market worked incredibly well. Yeah. Um, uh, and has continued to work well for Stefan and the team, um, who's continued to do brilliantly at, at, at YouGov. Um, but much of it was really, um, accidental if 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 i if truth be told rather than uh planned um uh, uh entrepreneurial yeah uh, but there, there was there wasn't a sort of playbook that there wasn't there wasn't a a guy that says you know here's here's what you should do yeah um but we found it incredibly uh helpful um and i think actually in many ways yeah, I go back and, and, and say to you, I think, you know, we need a culture of, of manager that is comfortable with growth and holding on to um, uh, their business. Yeah. Uh, and not selling out too early. You know, actually, um, 
in many ways. And being, being a bit more ambitious. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, when I was doing the uh, business industry role, uh, I remember because I, Yes, my part of my role I covered the whole pretty much mm. most of the economy. So, other than financial services and a bit of digital, I was the minister for foundation industries like steel. I was minister yeah. for construction, minister for nuclear, minister for life science, and I co-chaired the office for life science with the brilliant uh, John Bell. Um, and you know, one of his frustrations is you know some of our brilliant scientists uh, would then spin out uh, uh, companies out of universities, yeah, but sell out too early. Uh, yeah. And I remember, um, I can't remember the name of the, of the business, but you know, someone showing me uh, in the, in the office of life science, you know, business that sold out for half a billion, um, but it became part of a very large business Yeah, where the product is today a, you know, 15 billion product, yes. 15 billion dollar product. So, and, and that. It, it, that's what I mean by uh, creating a management culture that's more comfortable with growth and holding on to growth. Yeah. Um, to, you know, to create the, you know, the, 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 the giants of the industry. Yeah. And trying to get beyond some, because sometimes when you've been an entrepreneur, you know, you, you sort of feel like it's been by look, not design and, and getting comfortable with that. It's not that like there were, oh, look plays a bit of a bit of it. Um, I want to say one of the, I want to take you back to when we first met yes. because I remember saying to you, what do you want to achieve in politics? What do you want to do? And you said, and it's really stuck with me, that you wanted to be education secretary. And if your colleagues thought you were up to it, you'd like to be prime minister. And it's really stuck with me, that first bit of that, you saying, if my colleagues thought I was up to it. Is it, a, is it an ambition you still hold? And look, we know, the prime, we know there's no vacancy. We know the prime minister's doing a great job. But is it an ambition you still hold? I think uh, every member of parliament must feel that you know, they can, at some stage, mm. put themselves forward um, uh, uh, to um, uh, lead their party in their country. It's a privilege, right? But um, the thing that I really want is to be able to do this job and complete this journey. Yeah. Why? Because I think you know, we've been talking about it. Um, if I can deliver the same life chances I had, um, to every uh, uh, kid in the country, even those with, whose parents don't have the wherewithal or have no parents, then I've done something truly great, um, as big as what we've said, did on vaccines. Um, and I can't do that in just in, in the two and a half years that I've you know, no, no. got to the next general election. So I want Boris to another term and I want us to, to have another five years, I hope, and really scale and get to 2030 when I can say to you, hopefully, um, in another interview that I've actually, you know, uh, com completed the journey and delivered uh, on that. Um, and, uh, but it would be an amazing demonstration, right? Born in Iraq, standing on the steps of number 10. I mean, it, it, like all the things you want to achieve. And I agree, you've got a long way to go before all of I that. I pinch but, myself even just thinking about that I am the Secretary of State for Education and Her Majesty's Government, right? The Member of Parliament for Shakespeare, yeah. the heart of England, <laughs> right? This is the, I absolutely passionately believe this is the greatest country on earth. Yeah. Um, to, to have a constituency like Stratford on Avon, which is you know, 96, 97% white affluent middle class, uh, yet, you know, they vote for Nadim Zahawi as, as their champion, as their member of parliament, you know, the, the, the man they sent to, 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 to Westminster to represent them. Yeah. Um, and you know, I can't tell you. Um, how much I um, appreciate you know, the luck I've had in, yeah. in, in life, uh, but also um, I really, really want to complete this journey. Yeah, uh, and and uh, you know I don't want your listeners um, uh, to you know you, you, if you're passionate about something, yeah, you need to be clear about it, and you yeah. need to make sure people understand uh, that passion. And I just want to do this thing right because yeah. i think i would have made it every week every month that goes by where there are kids in our country right who don't have a great teacher in a great classroom in a really strong high performing school as a family of schools it, it, for me 
is, you know, it's, it's almost like when we were going, doing the vaccine. Yeah. Every day that went by that we're not vaccinating, then we're losing lives. Um, and, and these, these are life opportunities for these kids and I've got to deliver it. Yeah. And you, but when you, even when you did the vaccines, you went totally, I remember speaking to you during the process, yeah. like you were totally nailed on it. Cause if you got that, then it was other things would fall into place further yeah, on. And, and, and that's, you, you know me well enough to know that's my DNA. You know, my, I don't like leaving jobs no. you know, half, half completed. No, but I was, it was genuinely, I remember coming away thinking like, there's a weird thing in British politics where people aren't, British politics is all about ambition. So it should be, but there's this weird thing where people sort of stand back from the brink, like saying, well, I wouldn't want to be prime minister. And I would just remember thinking like, and the way you qualified it with your colleagues, like even though I was like a 22 year old at the time, it stuck with me as such a kind of, neat way of, of phrasing it and it's um yeah it's a very interesting prospect that's as far as I'll, I'll i'll go on that side of things but um what what content has kind of like inspired you along the way in terms of like we see here for those watching on youtube there are many books and so on you know is there something that you've particularly enjoyed or read lately that sticks with you so um when i was growing up you mentioned earlier you know the way i tried to learn English mm. uh, was reading the Sun newspaper because it was, yeah. I couldn't read the, the broadsheets because they were just too difficult. Um, uh, uh, and actually, um, you know, journalists who, who, who are able to write, um, for, uh, tabloids are brilliant people because yeah. they can actually, you know, deliver a, a, a story, um, that, you know, a kid like me could actually read as well as, you know, um, uh, an adult, um, uh, when I you know, began to, to think in English, I loved all of Dick Francis, anything by Dick Francis I would read. Um, uh, uh, and actually, because I met someone the other day who, who, who knew him. Um, I, and I loved that, 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 yeah. that whole world that he created. Um, I, the, the book that I, I really loved was just slightly um, frightening, but it was uh, Perfume, which is an incredible uh, book oh. about... Um, is, is this sort of psychopathic murderer, but that was in, 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 incredible. <laughs> um, what am I? Any education books that have kind of sort of, because a lot's written now, but because one of the things with education, it hasn't been, it yeah. hasn't really been updated much in yeah. 100 years or yeah. so. Yeah. Um, My the... white paper. <laughs> Read it. That, no, that really is a politics. It is start. brilliant. <laughs> it is. I think we did some incredible work because we've, I hope we've evidenced um, what I think it will be the, the, the sort of the, the, the roadmap towards you know, my ambition, which, would, yeah. which is to deliver that great education at the right place, right time for every child in our country. Yeah, definitely. And are there any of the Bear Grylls, the three Bear, Bear Grylls, Grylls books he, there? He, he was, do you know, he's amazing because I, I didn't know Bear. Mm. Um, I was at COP26 in Glasgow and, um, he and his producer clearly, um, uh, saw me and he actually came up to me and he said, look, you know, I just want to help you mm. wherever I can. Um, uh, and he's doing some incredible work, uh, uh, with young minds. He's doing some incredible work, actually interviewing people who've come through adversity, whether in you know, business, political life, sport, uh, and sharing that there's the, you know, that sort of character building stuff that he loves mm. uh, and, and is so important actually, um, uh, to produce a, you know, a, a really well-rounded adult. Um, and, um, it's been great. I mean, one of the really, you know, if I go back to my life story, um, uh, if there's a nugget, which I think truly makes this country great that I picked up very early on is if you share with people what your hopes, your aspirations, you know, what your hopes for other people, what you want to do, Yeah, there's plenty of people in this country that want to come and join you on that journey and help you. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. And it, and it actually, you know, Bear and, 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 and loads of people, um, who would just put their hand up and say, you know what, you're right. Um, you know, let, let, let's, let's do this thing. Um, uh, and if I do my job properly, um, yeah, I, I hope I've done something truly great. Yeah. 
it's been brilliant to have you on. I think that's such a fantastic kind of finish. Like it's, I, I do think it's an amazing, you can know somebody for so long and sometimes you get a bit familiar with their story, reading it all from the, from the start. It really is kind of inspiring to lots of school kids and, and so on in terms of, you know, we've got education secretary that couldn't read at the age of 11, couldn't read English at the age of 11. You yeah, know, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. And it's, uh, it's great to see all the work that you're doing. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs. One of the ways that we make this show possible is by the partners that we have that support us. They can be like today's, like the Octopus Group, but also we've done more consumer-facing brands like Primary Bid and Beer 52. You can go to our website and check out more details at www.jobsofthefuture.co. The other way the show is made possible is by me going into organisations and talking about jobs of the future and the talent that is required to fill those jobs how you retain them, how you attract them, and how great teams are built that can achieve superb things that we hear about on this show. If you want to know more on that, drop us a line at hello at jobsofthefuture.co. We always love hearing from our listeners.